Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's always great to be here. Joining me in just a few moments will be Tracy Samaya. And Tracy is not only the CEO of Lancer Skincare based in uh, California. She is also going to be one of our brand new watch team members and joining us weekly on the show. And I'm so honored and excited to have her. She'll be leading a leadership watch segment and bringing all of her experience and advice and um, life stories to the show. That's going to be very helpful and inspiring for all of our viewers. Later in the show, you'll be hearing from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. And this week, Sherry is going to be with uh, Danielle Ruttenberg. And Danielle is the co-founder of Remark Glass and Bottle Underground. Um, I went to Danielle's website and she does beautiful, beautiful glasswork. So I'm very excited for her segment. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the show, visit our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two watch.net net so now i'm very excited and thrilled to welcome to the show tracy samaya tracy welcome to the show thank you sue i'm excited to be here it's very nice to have you it's been a while since i saw you um we had a beautiful wonderful introductory call a couple of months ago and um as i said i'm just so thrilled that you're going to be a part of the show ongoing i think you have a lot of um really insightful stories and and advice to bring to the show. So we're going to start with your upbringing, as always, and, and have you share with the viewers and listeners a little bit about your background. So talk a little bit about the community uh, where you were born. Sure, absolutely. So I'm half British, half Iranian. I was actually born in London, but then when I was around two, my family moved to Iran. So the, the good part of my early childhood was, was in Iran, which has a beautiful culture, a very warm family-oriented culture. And I was raised in Iran till I was about 11. Um, we left Iran very, very abruptly, you know, pretty much overnight, um, extracted from a beautiful country, wonderful culture, family all around, and transported to London, which is my mother's country of birth, but I had nobody there. I knew nobody there. Um, had to get immersed overnight into a new lifestyle, school, and really build up all of my childhood all over again. Um, mm. I lived there till I was about 24, uh, where I chose to move to Los Angeles as I was getting married. And I've had the rest of my life um, living in Los Angeles since then. So that, you know, that is a very unique story and beginning <laughs> to, to, you know, to your life and something that I think um, many people would not really be able to understand all of the things that you had to adapt to. So when you think about that time, maybe we'll just talk about um, coming to America and having to adapt to a new culture and, and a new language and all of that. What do you, tell me what you were most afraid of 
um, at that. Well, point. actually, leaving leaving Iran, I went back to the UK. That was at the age of eleven when you know I went moved back to the UK. I spoke English because my mom's British, mm-hmm. but it was just the immersion of a total cultural shock, you know, going to the school pay- playground and not knowing anybody and trying to figure out how do I make new friends? How do I settle in? What are the rules of the game here? You know, just everything was so different. And it I think it was the first sense of survival and adaptability that I had to go through. Um, and it was either be new, be different, come from a different culture, listen to different music, eat different foods and be isolated or how do I assimilate and immerse myself and and move forward because it doesn't stand still. You have to move with what what's happening in your life at the time. Um, I tend to not look at it in terms of it was hardship. I tend to look at it as it gave me a great opportunity to learn about a new system of life, not to leave my previous one behind, but to adapt to a new system of life and take really the best of both cultures, all the different countries that I've lived in and and make me who I am today and the whole person that I am today. Do you, my guess is you do quite a bit of traveling and and do you go back often to either UK or or Iran? Um, UK, yes. Iran, I haven't been back to since I left at the age of 10, 11. Wow. Um, You know, I shared with you when I posted that you were coming on the show, I got such an influx of questions from viewers and listeners and they practically wrote the show for me. <laughs> I thought with all these great, great questions, um, I didn't even have to draft new ones. And the very first one I got was from your son. <laughs> your son, Tony, sent in a question and I thought I would ask it at the top of the show. I thought how sweet that is. He wants to know, what is your advice on compartmentalization? He asks me that every day. <laughs> Is it something he struggles with? (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's a challenge for a lot of young people because they go through college and life is very linear. It's just one thing to think about, one thing to do. And they're young. The whole world revolves around them. And then they hit the real world. They start a relationship. They start a job. And it's all the uncertainties of the real world and a, and a day in the life of working and so on, right? So he'll then say, I don't, I really don't know how you do this. I mean, it's how do you go from one to the other, to the other, to the other? And I always say to him, compartmentalize, compartmentalize. And, and I know it's easier said than done. I really, really know that. And I think it's one of those where practice makes perfect that comes with it. But if I could it's maybe share it in this way. You have to have, if you look at the whole pie of your life and your life is in different segments, you have work, you have relationships, you have motherhood, you have friendships, you have family, you have to take care of all these different slices of the pie. And that's your entire life. And what you've got to be able to do is to be very aware and present in each slice of the pie and not allow any slice of the pie to bleed over to the other side. So when you are leaving the house in the morning and you are going into work, you you put your leadership hat on, you put your uh, CEO hat on, you put on your work responsibilities and you walk into that office as that persona, as that character. And you're in character in that persona the entire time that you're there. And yes, if your phone rings and God forbid it's family with an emergency, you change lanes. But other than that, that entire time that you're there, you're fully focused and fully immersed. In the same way, when you're coming back home and you've got a husband and children and friends and family and what other things that are going on in life, you come back in that persona. So I never walked back in the door as CEO. I walked back in the house as mom and wife. And what's relative to this group of people that I'm walking back in the home with? My kids don't care what my title is or if I've had a good day or a bad day. They want to know, are you taking me to my activities? Can you help me with my project? I'm late with this. I have a play date. That's who needs to be there. So I think that compartmentalizing is truly about having these multiple personas 
And each one has a life of its own. And living in that particular segment 100% and very aware with a very intentional mindset. And again, it's it's a matter of life wisdom. It's a matter of, you know, practice makes perfect. But that to me has been the key to balancing what I want in life. And I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of saying you can have it all. You can be the working mom. You can have it all, but you don't have to do it all. And having wonderful support structures, both personally and professionally, and compartmentalizing and being aware is really the key to managing all the moving parts. I, I think that's such great advice. And I think it really is about being present in whatever we're doing. Here's the difficult part in today's world is the ability for all of the people out there to have access to us all day long, right? So in other words, you go home and you you just want to be mom and your phone is bing, bing, binging. Maybe you turned it off. I'm not sure. But how do you manage that? that, uh, I really see it as a lack of privacy. You know, it's a great question. So these worlds have to live alongside each other in synergy and in harmony. And so if I want my phone to not ring consistently, then I have to, in my work mind, create a team, hire well, hire very competent people. And unless it's an absolute emergency, it's okay. And you've got to give yourself permission to say, I can hear those emails coming in. I've I've sort of just glanced over them and it's okay. They can wait till tomorrow morning. And I think that permission giving is also very, very important that you're not a bad mom or a bad executive if you put things in their right home and go to them when timing permits. Mm. And I, you know what, I think we gain the confidence to do that more as we get older. Yes. We tend to worry about, you know, what other people are doing and saying and thinking. And as we get older, we realize it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I actually always say motherhood saved me because I could see myself, had I not become a wife and a mother, I would be probably one of those executives that would just get onto a burnout mode. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So, you know what, we should backtrack. Before I get into the questions from our listeners, I would love for you to tell um, the viewers how did you end up in this field? How did you end up in the field of, of beauty and skincare and wellness? We should go back to, to the beginning. <laughs> so my key motivation to working actually was financial independence. I have a wonderful aunt who actually recently passed away. And from a very young age, I would always hear her little whispers in my ear that it's wonderful to marry for love and all the rest of that. But as a woman, you have to know that if you need to provide, you can. And financial independence and the ability to provide finance um, and the financial support for your family is, is important. So the reason I actually got into working was because of that drive to have a financial independence. Otherwise, I think my dad was perfectly happy taking care of me for the rest of my life until I got married. And so why the beauty industry? I think I actually fell into it very, very accidentally. I had found a company and thought, oh, you know, I'll just take a break from school and take some beauty courses so I can learn a little bit more about grooming and and looking great and cosmetics and hair. And they had a wonderful sort of apprenticeship type program. And I remember from the first day that I crossed that threshold into the world of beauty and hair, really from a standpoint of personal um, development and knowledge, I loved the industry. I fell in love with this industry and I've never looked back. It, it felt like home. I loved coming into work every day. I loved the idea that we make people look and feel better. It's very, very gratifying. And from there, really, I was very lucky to work for some companies that afforded me the opportunity to learn the job on the job and create career paths. Um, We're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, I'm going to dig into some of these questions from our listeners. Stay with us. If you're listening on 1210, you'll hear from our watch team members. We'll be right back with Tracy, Tracy Samaya, CEO of Lancer Skincare. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. 
Small business doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with small risk, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. As a small business owner, you have a full plate and cybersecurity may not be on your radar. It may seem unnecessary for you and your business, but taking initiative in cybersecurity is one of the most important things you can do for the safety and security of your business, your employees, and even your customers. Here's steps you can take right now to protect your business. Back everything up. Never store anything in one place or on a single device. It'd be a treasure chest for the pirates of the web. Whether it's an external hard drive or an online cloud storage, make sure the location is secure or with a reputable organization. You've heard this one before. Use strong passwords for everything. Having a strong password on every device with sensitive information is essentially the very first line of defense from hackers. Your password can never be too strong or change too often. Sending out quarterly reminders to staff to update passwords is a small step you can take to make a big difference. On that note, train your employees. Employees are often the first target for scammers. So ensure your employees maintain best practices and know what's at stake. Sending out phishing test emails can give insight on employees who may need additional training on spotting a scammer or malicious material. Don't be hesitant to buy antivirus software to protect against viruses, malware, or spyware. It could be an invaluable investment for your business. Lastly, make sure third parties you deal with are as safe and secure as you. Any person or business that has access to your system can be considered a threat. Make sure the vendors you work with have the best practices in place to prevent cybercrime, and don't be afraid to inquire or encourage them to do so. Remember, small business can mean big target for cybercriminals. They know that your business may not have the resources to spend on security that a larger corporation would. Data hacking and cybercrimes are becoming more common and advanced in the modern world. So make sure your small business is following best practices to minimize your vulnerability. It only takes one weak link to attack an entire company. So don't let a simple mistake jeopardize everything you worked for. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women to watch. Sports watch. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welter and you are listening to Sports Watch. You know, truthfully and, and unfortunately, um, in sports, we don't put the same resources to girls. Why? Because there aren't often the same end games, which means there aren't the same dollars um, invested in girls' sports in the feeder system. And then all the way up, as we saw play out this year in, in March Madness very vividly um, with the NCAA tournament. And we saw the disparities between um, what the girls were given versus what the boys were given. So why would she see that and think that the world is as viable and puts the same value on her sport participation as the boys do. And so we have to be very um, intentional again. And I will use that word over and over. You'll hear me say it because she isn't going to naturally be socialized as easy into some of these situations as the boys are. So moms and dads, let's be active and proactive in creating the situations where she is coached, mentored, trained in the same way as the boys are. And then the end game become more visible and more viable in terms of what she sees and how women are paid on all playing fields so that her dreams aren't just a dream. They're actually a reality that makes sense and that she is an instrument to success as opposed to being shown that the best way for a woman to be is to be the accessory to the success of someone else. Follow me and all my adventures, or you can say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Tracy Samaya and Tracy is the CEO of Lancer Skincare. Um, I want to dig right into some of these questions from our listeners. They're very good. And one of my favorites is <laughs> always to have my guests look back to uh, the little girl that you were one day. And someone asked, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? When I hear that question, I think of, you know, kind of personally, what is something you struggled with that today you now know um, was not as meaningful or serious as you thought? One would be the fear of failure. 
because we all want to be perfect. We all want to be liked. Um, and one would that would be one is is embracing failure as just part of life. It was just something that happened. You learn from it. It was either in your control or it wasn't. And you keep moving. The other would be to really have the ability to to stay resilient and persistence is key. Um, it, you know, it's so easy to say it didn't go well. I'm going to walk away. It's it's tough. I'm going to walk away. It's people aren't allowing me. I'm going to walk away. It's very easy to get into that box, and it's everybody else's fault. And I think that just realizing you have to own it, and if you want it bad enough, you have to stay focused and own it and keep striving, and you know, get thick skinned, <laughs> stay in yeah. the game, and yeah. keep moving forward. That's really it. And and to know. Um, that it won't be easy. There will be detours and um, there will be obstacles. Not everybody's always happy for your success. And that's tough because it's personally, uh, it becomes personal. And not everybody is going to cheer you on and be happy. And you just have to continue to do it for yourself and because it's what you want to do. Um, are there any historical figures who have inspired you? historical figures you know it, it moves through different decades of my life um uh i would probably say i don't necessarily think it's historical figures per se it's for me it happens to be people in my life um and um you know from my aunt that i always talk about it really is that sense of um grit and persistence um, she grew up in a time where, you know, in Iran where women, you know, didn't have the right to necessarily even get a divorce. It, you know, you had to get given permission to get a divorce. And so to just look through her life and see what she was able to achieve just by determination. Um, I look at my mom and she's taught me a lot of balance and spirituality and to accept when things are happening. It's just whatever's meant to be in the universe and to go with the flow as opposed to resist a lot of things in life. And then you, be, you become hard and, and very bitter. Whereas if you embrace where, you, where things are going and, and really have a sense of trust and go with it, you're much more empowered. Um, so I would say those two are the two that are um, guiding lights in some way for me. Um, what steps have you taken to help uplift the next generation of women leaders? You know, um, so in terms of an organization, for example, one area that was always very close to my heart was um, women coming back off maternity leave. It's a very difficult transition. You know, you you carry this baby for nine months, then you have the baby, you're holding you, all your maternal instincts and energy and emotions um, are on high alert and, and heightened. And then after six weeks, eight weeks, whatever that timeline is that you need to go back to work, all of a sudden you've got to detach from all this and, and leave your most prized possession, you know, and, and go away for eight to 10 hours a day based on an eight hour working day and some community commute, commuting time. Right. And so that was always very, very hard for me in that transition. Um, and it was very close to my heart. So working on an environment of a culture of a company whereby women coming back off maternity leave were given a staggered timeline to come back into work and a lot of fluidity and flexibility, shorter hours, a couple of hours a days a week until they eventually, over a period of three months, come back into a full-time status. So that was very, very important to me. The other is, at any one point, I generally have about six to 10 direct reports. And in 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 having direct reports, I don't look at leadership as just someone who's providing a job. I think that leadership is a privilege and you're taking responsibility for somebody else's livelihood. And rather than thinking of providing them with a job, you're really helping them. You have the opportunity to help them create a career path. So that one-on-one -on -one mentoring that I have the opportunity to, to give is really where I invest a lot of time to develop and groom and develop 
people for their career paths. And I think that's been really, really rewarding to look at people that I've managed who now are SVPs, CEOs, and so on. It really is very gratifying. And it's like the gift that keeps giving because as you see them grow, you're more gratified with the work that you've done through your life's work. And, um, you know, just, just that one-on-one -on -one mentoring is really where I try and invest the most of my time. Tracy, can you tell me what questions you ask your employees when you're trying to learn more about them? So when you're trying to guide them and find out what is it that, that they're yeah. you know, really good, what questions do you ask? So I think the key to motivating or really seeing how I can be of purpose to their life is to ask what, what, why are they working? What is their motivating factor? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What is their end goal? And it's not always financial. It could be a sense of gratification. It could be that they just want to be out of the house for a few hours a day and balance children at home. Some are more title motivated. Some are purely financial motivated. So I tend to ask them, what is the purpose of you being in this work environment? What are you looking to get out of it? How can I be of help to you? And, you know, when you ask and you really hear what that particular individual is about, is it that they're trying to prove the history and heritage of their culture? Is it what, what is motivating them? What's making them give, get that fire in the belly every day? Then to me, as a leader, you find that intersection along with where the goals of the company are. And if you can align those two together, you really never have to work hard at managing people anymore because they see the road ahead themselves and it's directly connected to their personal part of life. I, th I think why that the question of why is always the best question. Yeah. Right. If we understand why we, we're doing anything and also in asking that, sometimes we find out we're not where we're meant to be. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, is there one key to success for someone who wants to rise up in the company? So if there's a woman who's within a company and she really wants to be in that C-suite, is there one key to getting there? Get involved and play. I think I, I equate a lot of things to um, playing sports. If, if you don't get on the court and start playing, you're not going to get the opportunity to take the shot and then be the MVP. So I think just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, putting yourself in the situation, be okay with risk, be okay with failure, be okay with being disliked, just get on with it. And I think that as women, very early on, I read a great book. It's how to play like a man, but win like a woman. And when you take a look at how men look at, at the work environment, they, they almost have this sense of entitlement that I'm, I'm meant to be here. You know, this is my domain. I, I will have a say, you know, whereas we tend to want to make everybody feel good. Um, don't hurt anybody's feelings. Everybody gets to take part in this game. And, and it's okay to be competitive and it's okay to be unliked and make things uncomfortable. And I, and I think that would be the main thing that I would say uh, to someone young, up and coming, a young, up and coming leader, a female leader is just get involved and you're going to get some scratches and you're going to get some bruises and you just keep fighting and moving forward. Don't ask for permission and don't wait for an invitation. 
You know, we talk a lot on the show about the differences um, between men and women and why it matters that we have women in positions of leadership. And I sometimes think it's um, hard for women to understand they don't have to give up their natural instincts to care about the collective group. Um, You know, those uh, qualities of empathy and, you know, again, just those um, they, they sometimes they're described as soft skills, but they're really not, you know, the ability to connect with people and understand what's happening kind of in a whole room rather than just in yeah. what's in front of us. So how do we embrace those qualities? Because I don't think it's right to, to push them away and not be yeah. who we are, but at the same time, be competing, playing, as you say, with the men who perhaps don't see these qualities as valid? I think some of it is more women get into leadership positions. We change the landscape. You know, so some of that's just going to happen through generations and generations of more women in position of leadership that will change the the playground and the rules of the playground, right? But I remember very early on I took a, a workshop um, in terms of learning to be a better negotiator. And I, I show up to this workshop and it wasn't exact. it was nothing I thought it was going to be. It was six people and I already felt uncomfortable because there's only six of us so he can watch everybody really clearly. We you know in a team of 30, you can sort of hide around the areas you don't want to get involved in, right? So there's six <laughs> of us and four guys, two women. I'm like, oh, here we go. And then out of the six, it was myself and a colleague from the skincare industry, and she shut down on day one. It was not where she wanted to be. She was just going to ride it out. Two guys from high pharma, high performance pharmaceutical companies, and two guys from a um, company that dealt with executive security in the Middle East. So, and there I am coming in from, we sell lotions and potions and skincare and we like people to look beautiful, you know? And I thought, oh my God, who booked me on this course? You know, and I was so uncomfortable. And initially I could have thought like, oh my God, the guys from Pharma can flip, you know, Excel spreadsheets around like pancakes in in their sleeves. And it's just big, big ruffling numbers. And these guys are sort of, carrying god knows what kind of guns and whatever else is going on and um i've got my lip gloss so anyway i I looked at it and i thought to myself you know what i'm just going to use my strengths they want to be big bad bullies and they think that that if they speak louder we're all going to go away and i'm not i'm going to slow this down i'm going to speak like a woman i'm going to use my soft skills and in the end of the course i ended up winning top negotiator Because I just, I I decided I wasn't going to get intimidated. I definitely felt it. Believe me, I felt it. But I chose to put that compartment away and to pull from within the areas that I felt I had strengths in that they didn't have. They didn't have the stamina. They could bark a little bit early on, but they didn't have the long-term game stamina. You know, and at that point, you also just find whatever works for you. And throughout my career, I've always been told, you could say whatever you say that comes out of your mouth. You could even swear at someone. But that accent, all we want to say is, oh, wow, thank you. So, you know, at a time like that, I was like, my accent is getting amplified. I am a woman. We are going to do this my way in a very soft and loving and kumbaya way. And, you know, it works. Whether you like it or not. We are going to do this. Yes. We have to go into our next break and and get ready for Sherry. I'm so excited to be able to have you back again so I can get through all of the other questions. I didn't. (laughs) Thanks so much, Tracy. I'll let you get back to work and we'll be seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for your time, Sue. Stay with us, and when we come back, you'll hear from Sherry Morrison, and she's going to be with Danielle Ruttenberg, the co-founder of Remark Glass and Bottle Underground. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. How to get buy-in and launch your creative ideas. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Today I want to talk to you about how to get your leadership team to buy into your creative ideas. 
Brand building is essential to creating a business that stands the test of time. It's also one of the hardest aspects of business to measure and quantify. So how do you convince your leadership team to greenlight a project or a campaign that doesn't directly drive sales? Here are my three tips. First, think like your CEO. Imagine you're the CEO of your company. Ask yourself how your project supports the business. Your answer does not need to be tied to sales to be important. Does your request help position the company as a leader in its industry? Maybe it improves customer experience or boosts brand loyalty. Each of these contributes to the success of a business. Number two, timing is everything. Does your project require $50,000 that isn't in your budget? Part of creating a successful pitch is developing a successful plan and that includes budgeting. If your idea is costly, find out when your company begins budget planning and arrange to make your pitch during the beginning of the process. And last, be flexible. My experience dealing with nuns and rock stars well prepared me for working with CEOs. My best advice is to know your facts, especially the math. Have the answers and expect the unexpected. Think about what in your plan can change to meet the requests of your leadership team without sacrificing your goal. Be flexible and be willing to work with your boss to give them skin in the game and a stake in your idea. I use these three tactics to get buy-in from my colleagues on Munchkin's executive team and our board of directors to launch Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast. We've become trailblazers within our category, and the show was ranked among the top 2% of shows within Apple Podcast Kids and Parenting category in our debut season. You can listen to it at strollercoaster.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Hello, welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Danielle Ruttenberg, co-founder of Remark Glass and Bottle Underground. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me, Sherry. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Danielle and her business partner, Rebecca Davies, opened Remark Glass in 2016 and Bottle Underground followed in 2020. Danielle, please tell us about your education, meeting Rebecca, and how Remark Glass was born. Absolutely. So I am a graduate of the Tyler School of Art, which is Temple University's art school right here in Philadelphia. And it was there that I actually met Mark Ellis, who is present day married to Rebecca Davies. And as a team, um, years after we graduated, we kind of reconnected and started experimenting with bottle glass to see what was possible. Well, that's very cool. I didn't realize Tyler School of Art had a glass blowing department. Um, I've watched glass being blown and it is, it's a mesmerizing experience. A, a lot of teamwork and a lot of critical timing. It's, it's very much like running a business, don't you think? Absolutely. The, um, I always refer to it as a team sport. You know, it is something that you really need to have partners in that can read your every move and be there when you need them. Yeah, before it falls to the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so please tell us a little bit about the beginning of Remark Glass, what type of projects and things you, you started making, and what was your mission then? So glasses, um, and recycled glass especially, is an incredibly challenging material. And so we were looking at as a, as a design challenge to see what the potential was of the material and how we could kind of creatively transform it. So heating one bottle at a time, we prototyped some really beautiful functional wares um, that have evolved into our full scale line that you can find on our website um, and in our store at the Bach building in South Philadelphia. Um, what's neat about what we do is that, you know, it's already a bottle, it's already got uh, air inside of it. It's volume. So what we do is we heat up to over 2000 degrees and transform the material. So we're stretching it, we're pulling it, um, we're making a new shape out of an existing shape. That's very cool. Um, the Bach building is, is really an interesting building. I was there years ago when it first reopened. Um, it was an old school. Uh, and um, I think you have a lot of artists there now. Is that correct? Yeah, it's grown into an amazing space. Uh, over 175 artisans and small businesses here. It's just booming with energy and we love being here and um, kind of just being a part of this thriving arts community. 
I, I bet. So you've been taking on um, a lot of glass through recycling programs in Philadelphia. That's that's pretty aggressive. You have more than you could handle, I'm sure. Once you saw the greater need of recycling, um, that's how you came up with Bottle Underground. Is that is that how yes. that came about? Yes. So in 2020 is when we formed Bottle Underground. But previous to that, we always had a community engagement aspect to what we were doing. We were collecting bottles from family members, friends, and that started to expand into businesses and other people who just heard about us through the grapevine. Um, in During the initial shutdown in Philadelphia, the recycling system became a little bit more transparently broken. And um, we were seeing that glass inherently ends up in landfill more often than we'd like to admit. And we thought we could really solve this by taking on more um, in a formal way. And so Bottle Underground really looks at glass as um, an asset and how can we adventure through different avenues to keep it out of landfill, but also create more value out of it. So we're upcycling, obviously, through Remark Glass. But there's other um, channels where we will fully recirculate the glass, like a mason jar, just gets washed and brought back into the community. Um, and then we're also doing some projects around downcycling, which is turning glass into aggregate or sand, and then maybe replanting it back into a soil blend. It's something that's actually functional in an infrastructure sort of way. Yeah, you had, you had mentioned you have a hierarchy for the bottle types um, that come out of the landfill um, and are collected. So... So you you actually different you recycle those in different manners. So like another business could be using the mason jars or some of the other small containers. You said a candle making company, um, so you can sell them to clean them and sell them back to them. The the aggregate you said um, goes to some of the different builders, and you had mentioned a um, company that uses them and mixes it in with the sand. Yeah, so we're doing a partnership with Olin Architects and Bennett Compost right now, which is looking at as a green stormwater infrastructure project where we're making a soil blend, which is really without soil, and that will be used as a pilot for a green infrastructure project in Fairmount Park. Um, And we hope to actually commercialize that next year. Very cool. Um, so I've only been in studios to see artists blowing glass from scratch um, and using the, the blowpipe or freehand or wooden block or mold. You make some beautiful pieces and now they're available through Better Homes and Gardens. Uh, that's really exciting. Tell us about the items available and the different techniques you use to create them. Yeah, um, so we were recently featured in Better Homes and Gardens. It was amazing. It's a beautiful spread. So if you're a subscriber, definitely check it out. Um, And all of those items that are in the uh, 100th anniversary edition are available on our website, which is remarkglass.com. And uh, again, also in our store here. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you make keepsakes, lighting, glassware, pictures, and you do some custom work. We were talking about... uh, all of the old wine and champagne bottles I have on my shelves that are the best dust collectors in the whole wine world, and I have absolutely no purpose for them, but you have repurposed them or find ways to repurpose them, make them into containers and use the labels or whatever that's on them to make them memorable. Great wedding gifts or, you know, to use as a bowl or serving piece. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we designed this project Um, That really bridges sentimentality and sustainability. You know, we are really excited to be able to have the glass that we're using tell a story um, because it really is about that. We're just transforming something that already existed and had a purpose and we're redesigning that purpose. So with our keepsake projects, um, the, the best example is the champagne bottle from your wedding. We'll take a special bottle from a really special occasion Um, We capture it with a photo, but then we'll transform it into something that is going to be used at the center of someone's table for years to come. And that might look like a vase um, or a serving bowl. And we always do a special engraving to commemorate the date. Um, We've done projects with full barware from a vineyard wedding um, up to, you know, special lights or a chandelier that um, came from an anniversary champagne bottle. And it's just Every project we get to do tells a different story and we get to learn those stories and become closer with our customers. 
so much fun. I just love the creativity. How much glass do you think you've diverted from landfill in the last six years? Hmm. I, I don't have an, a clear number on six years, but when we started Bottle Underground, our data became much more concise and we have diverted um, just over 102,000 pounds since 2020. Um, so yeah, over 50 tons. Um, you know, the city goes through a lot um, and this is just a drop in the bucket, but we're seeing an increase from where we were collecting about 200 pounds a month back in early 2020 to over 10 uh, sorry, over 10,000 pounds a month right now, which is, you know, insane. And, um, and this is without a lot of marketing, like people are really looking for an alternative with their recycling to ensure and ensure that it is going to a good place and is becoming, you know, what, what we really intend for the true meaning of recycling. Can, can you imagine if all of us did a little bit of that, uh, we wouldn't have any glass problems on the planet. Um, so you've gone from artist to entrepreneur to environmentalist. Uh, what have you learned? What do you see in the future? Do you have a new message now? Have you have you morphed into something a little bit different? I mean, we're ever changing people. Um, but yes, as an entrepreneur, I you know I started in a really creative space with this project with Remark Glass, and um, the the need to really make a larger impact became more and more apparent. And I think that is our true mission now. I think that we can look at our source materials across manufacturing and a creative space in a different way, that we might be able to find alternative solutions um, for all sorts of making because glass is not trash. Um, neither is wood, neither are building materials. If we treat them right and we discard them instead of, sorry, discard, we break them down in a better way and we collect and sort in a better way, we have usable material again and again. So that's what we're looking to do. Awesome. It's not just about glass. It's it Remark chooses best practices that reflect minimal waste. Um, it's a model that benefits the local economy. Um, so they're reusing discarded cardboard, packaging materials from companies all over. Um, and they participate in fair chance hiring. We could we could do a show on each one of these elements of recycling and sustainability very easily. Um, uh, we're just really fortunate that companies like Remark and Bottle Underground have the networks and the small businesses are really making a difference. And they're so well supported by many different sources. I noticed you were involved with Goldman Sachs, 10,000 small businesses. You're... Um, that is a, a group that really helps small businesses become more sustainable and streamline what they do. Um, you've received some accolades. The Love Tito's recently announced that you were one in 10 recipients of $25,000. Wow. They support businesses with grit. You've got grit. You've got sand and glass. Yes, um, <laughs> sure and SHEO, now referred to as Corallis, is a Canadian organization that was founded and formed sort of an incubator-type community supporting women and non-binary people working on the world's to-do list. What a great list to be on. Uh, yeah. So you were one of five businesses in the United States selected as a venture in 2022 by the Corallis Group. Uh, so you have access to experts, investors, giving ongoing time and expertise to help you build a holistic approach to your business. Awesome. I'm, I'm sorry, Danielle, we are out of time and, I, and I'm trying to get through as much as I possibly can. Um, thank you so much for all of your information and education today. I know that I will be back with another segment where we can talk about this more, but I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I hope you'll come visit us soon, okay? I absolutely will. For more information about Remark Glass and their beautiful pieces available for purchase, go to www.remarkglass.com. For information about how to become involved with or donate to recycling glass or bigger projects on the horizon, go to www.bottleunderground.com. Please join me next week when I meet with Helen Hammes, president of Village Improvement Association of Doylestown. Uh, which founded Doylestown Health in 1923. So they're getting ready to celebrate their 100-year anniversary. Um, it's, and they're also getting ready to uh, open up their largest fundraising effort, which is the Designer House in Doylestown. So um, please stay with us. Sue will be back to close out the show. And keep living your dreams, ladies.
Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Did you know that the U.S. Department of Defense is the largest employer in the world? Of the over 3.2 million employees, approximately 800,000 are civilians. Many Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Space Force units, and even other DOD agencies, consist of both uniformed and civilian teammates. They are working together for our nation's security. From maintenance to logistics to finance to engineering, there are 675 civilian occupations within the Department of Defense. Civilian employees also deploy throughout the world, working alongside our nation's service members. So this Labor Day, as we celebrate our nation's workers and the unofficial end of summer, I'd like to thank the Department of Defense workforce and their dedication and talents that they display defending our country. And I wish you all a happy and safe Labor Day weekend. Hi, welcome back. What a great show. Big thank you to Tone, our producer, for doing a great job each and every week. And also to all of our sponsors and watch team members for their contributions to the show. Um, Next week, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Anna Scott, and she is a scientist and an entrepreneur. It's going to be a great interview. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.